Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is the 27th of July, 2022, and this is going to be lecture number 22 of Membrane Biochemistry. Now, lecture number 21, you'll notice, is not in this audio uh, podcast feed. The reason that is is because I made a video. So please go to my YouTube channel, find that video, and hopefully um, watch it through and uh, take notes and get back to me as to um, any questions you may have. So occasionally, you know, I do video lectures, not as many as I used to, uh, because the um, I've noticed that the YouTube channel doesn't get watched nearly as much as the audio podcast. And so I don't know why that is, but uh, so I tend to do most of my work on the audio. However, if I was uh, encouraged to do more videos, I would. And I do them anyways, because I know that sometimes it's necessary uh, when I want to show data in particular. Yesterday, I did a, a fair amount of that, and also I showed a lot of structures. So please go and find that. I'll try to put that in the show notes for you, that link. So you can watch it directly from um, here, from this uh, podcast platform. All right, let's go into chapter number 22 in membrane biochemistry. Now, <clears throat> there was a paper published in the journal Blood back in 2016 I want to talk about. I've mentioned this in the past um, when we were involved in uh, the, uh, the entire arc of lectures on aging. And uh, I want to add this now to uh, the feed that we're doing with uh, membrane biochemistry to remind you of that and to move forward with further discussions of KVLA so that we have saturated that market sufficiently. So this study looked at increased CAV1 expression in human and also in a murine model T-cell population. And this was after an allogeneic hematopoietic stem cell transplantation. So CAV1 minus donor cells cause less severe acute graft versus host disease and yielded higher numbers of regulatory T cells compared with controls. So it looks like CAV1 played a role in the T-cell differentiation, right? So depletion of Tregs from the graft actually then, as one would guess, if you know anything about T-cell metab T metabolism and the immune response, if you deplete the T-cells from the graft, you abrogate the protective effect of that um, severe acute graft versus host disease, right? So Treg frequencies increased when CAV1 minus T cells, double knockout, were exposed to transforming growth factor beta and T cell receptor CD28 activation and or using an alloantigen stimulation um, in vitro compared with the wild type T cells. So that means we are looking at an induction of the T-cell response via the TCR. TCR and the CD28 coactivate 
And we're asking the question, what is the uh, role of CAV1 in T-cell differentiation? Okay, that's basically what this is about. So let's go into the detail about it. What they found was there was an in situ phosphorylation of CAV1 and that this was dispensable for the control of T-cell fate. And that was determined as being dispensable, even though it occurred, right? Because they used a non-phosphorylatable CAV1, right? But they made a modification uh, of a, a certain amino acid. Uh, they switched out the tyrosine residue so they could no longer phosphorylate that hydroxyl group. So they made a point mutation variant, right? And it was a Y14F, right, at both loci. So the membrane topodynamic that, that was the result of all this included a close proximity of lymphocyte-specific protein tyrosine kinase. Remember, that's called the LIC enzyme, LCK, adjacent to the TCR, approximately closer to the TCR. And this is induced by TCR activation. And all of this was reduced, okay, reduced when you had a CAV1 knockout T cell. Okay? So that means the CAV1 was necessary for that component of T cell uh, activation via the T cell receptor, right? So it appears that there was a diminished TCR, T cell receptor. LCK, that's the kinase, clustering. And that will then result or did result in suboptimal activation of any of the downstream signaling events, which correlates with the preferential development into Tregs. Okay, so there is a role for CAV1 and TCR LCK spatial distribution upon the event of T cell receptor triggering. And that actually controls, at least in this study, T-cell fate towards the regulatory phenotype. Okay, now that's a very significant thing. So it's telling you that CAV1 and the KVOLI in T-cells, okay, in the T-cell plasma membrane is controlling the T-cell receptor activation, which ultimately will respond by going through terminal differentiation to either a T helper cell or to a T reg. So the alteration basically translated into a significant increase in the frequency of T regs. And because of that, you get a reduced severe acute graft versus host disease or GVHD. All right, so this is very significant. Now, remind, remind yourself about all of this um, caveolin and caveolin biochemistry. Remember that caveolin 1, CAV1, is synthesized, that is translated, and it's oligomerized in the ER. So you have CAV1 oligomers that then get transported together to the Golgi. Then there's a Golgi exit, which is stimulated by cholesterol because this is a component of the membrane lipid raft. 
That then leads to a defined quantum of CAV1 that, of course, is getting delivered to the plasma membrane. And so these CAV1 enriched domains associate with that EHD protein and then the cavin complex and paxin complex, which together generate the caviola. So more on the caviola dynamics. Remember the caviola at the plasma membrane will bud off to form endocytic carriers. And that they can fuse with early endosomes, which can then be recycled back to the plasma membrane with cargo, presumably. Now, in response to a high membrane tension, caveoli will flatten. Remember, that has to do with the phosphatidylserine and phosphatidylinositol response, as well as components of sphingolipid and ganglioside involvement. Now, what occurs then, subsequent to that, is that you release cabins into the cytoplasm and the CAV1 oligomers into the bulk plasma membrane. And that's how CAV1 becomes, by itself, endocytosed. So cytosolic cabins, of course, get degraded via the proteasome unless they interact with some intracellular targets. That would be other proteins. And in which case they can be recruited back to generating a caviola okay, before they're processed out. So the non-caviola cave one, when it's not associated with caviola, that occur within the early endosome will get recruited ultimately into the intraluminal vesicle. And that's where it's going to get degraded proteolytically. Okay. That's part of the dynamics of caviola. Let's go talk about a paper published in the Journal of Immunology. T-cell receptor stimulation by a peptide MHC complex, which of course is going to be found in an angiopresenting cell, requires a very precise reorganization of all of those molecular species into the area of cellular contact. And what that forms is the immunological synapse from where the T-cell signaling can be initiated to signal. So CAV1, which is, of course, this widely expressed transmembrane protein that you find in KVLA, is indeed involved in the regulation of membrane composition of other proteins, as we've been saying, plus cellular polarity because of its alteration in lipid molecular species organization, and indeed then trafficking. And of course, the final um, sequelae of all of those interactions is an organizational signal transduction cascade. So the CAV1 knockout CD8 T cells that were studied in this paper had a, have a reduction in membrane cholesterol. And we know why, because CAV1 binds to cholesterol. And also, what other lipids would you think would be decreased? Sphingomyelin. 
but upon T-cell receptor triggering, you get an altered morphology and polarity, which makes sense because of the way the T-cell receptor functions. And with that, a reduced effector function in that T-cell compared with CAB1 wild type CD8 T-cells. So before we were talking about um, not CD8, but CD4 positive T-cells going into the TH and the T-regs, right? Now I'm telling you about CD8s. It looks like it's the same process. A reduced effector or helper cell function, including natural killer T lymphocytes, right? Which comes through that CD8 lineage, right? That, and that, that occurs when you have the CAV1 knockout as compared to a CAV1 wild type CD8 T cell. Now a little bit more detail about the proteins involved. In particular, you get a redistribution of the beta-2 integrin protein called LFA1. And that gets to the immunological synapse normally. But this becomes compromised in the CAB1 knockout CDAT cells. As well as the ability of the LFA1 to form a high avidity interaction with another protein, which is ICAM-1, right? one of these adhesion uh, membrane proteins, which induces cell-cell interaction in general, and of course is going to be uh, definitely involved in the immune synapse, because that's a cell-cell interaction. So what this paper then told me was that there's a role for CAV-1 in membrane organization about the beta-2 integrin function, which is, of course, necessary for that immunological synapse to function. And this is in the primary CD8 T cells. So beta-2 integrins, what are they? They are complex lymphocyte-specific adhesion molecules. They're found also in other leukocytes, but then here we're talking lymphocytes. They are lymphocyte and leukocyte-specific adhesion molecules, as we've been saying, and they're essential for leukocytes, including things like innate immune cells, neutrophils, and then lymphocytes like T-cells, to traffic. Likewise, beta-2 integrins are necessary for neutrophil phagocytosis, which remember those are not just, not just cells that can present antigen neutrophils, that is, but they could also phagocytosis like a macrophage. So beta-2 integrins are involved in phagocytosis and reactive oxygen species production. And in the T cells, of course, as we've just been saying, T cell activation, both the CD8 and the CD4. Right. Now, the lack of expression, or if there's a mutation, for example, in the beta-2 integrin, what that will do is actually associate with a, with a disease that falls into a family of rare immunodeficiency syndromes. And the class of this, these syndromes are the leukocyte adhesion deficiency type 1 and type 3. So those are known as LAD1 
lad three Roman numerals. Now, lad one is caused by a reduced or a complete knockout or loss of expression of the beta two integrins. But the lad three immunodeficiency syndrome, the beta two integrins are expressed, but they're dysfunctional because a major integrin cytoplasmic regulator, another protein called Kinlin-3, that's the protein that's mutated. So as it turns out, some LAD-related phenotypes, remember these are these immunodeficiencies, such as periodontitis, okay, that's the oral disease, have recently been shown to be due to an uncontrolled pro-inflammatory response and has nothing or very little to do with infection. So that means that autoimmune diseases, as you know, if you've been listening to lectures from me for the last five, six years, and before that in lecture halls when I was teaching immunological courses, that you can have an uncontrolled pro-inflammatory response with no effect on infection. And this is where they separate out. So the beta-2 integrins, which are controlled by caveolin 1, are indeed regulating whether or not you get an immunodeficiency syndrome or a pro-inflammatory immune response, an autoimmune response, sometimes it's associated with antigen, like in periodontitis, when you have a mutation in one of the proteins that beta-2 integrin interacts with. And this protein happens to be called Kinlin-3. Okay. So now you know a whole lot more about what KVOLA are doing in the immune response, and the immune synapse, right? And its association with diseases. Now, these are rare, relatively rare diseases, but they nevertheless provide an example of the significance of this, right? Now, I mentioned this also before, but KVOLI at the cell surface will bud. They can't, those they can bud, essentially generate membrane lipid rafts. And that when they do that and they go intracellular, they carry, given a challenge by cholera toxin or the virus called SV40, simian virus 40. So this has been studied and well-known for a long time. So KVLA cell service will bud and carry into the cytoplasm of a challenged cell the cholera toxin binding subunit known as CTXB, but also carry the simian virus 40. So this, this is a way of intoxication of the cell, you see. So the KVOLA bud off to form an endocytic KVOLR carrier. Then sometimes it can form a stable complex called a caviazone. So the KVLR carriers will fuse with existing caviosomes that already carry cargo, such as 
pathogenic cholera toxin binding subunit if, it's, if the cell is being challenged with it, or such as a virus like SV40. But they can also, these carriers, these lipid wraps can also fuse with early endosomes. And when they do that with the early endosome, because of the proteins in the early endosome, they'll fuse back to the plasma membrane without the involvement of any endosomal intermediate. So in cells with or without caviole, then, there is at least a major otherwise somewhat non-described, very important endocytic pathway that involves clathrin and caveolin-independent carriers. And these are known as CLICs, C-L-I-Cs. And they will indeed endocytose the same surface markers into endosomes that do the KVOA or the clathrin coated pits. So, glycosyl phosphatidylinositol, that is GPI anchored proteins, make it to the surface and then into the cytoplasm via that click pathway, which is clathrin and caveolin independent carrier pathway. This was all discovered because of examination of looking at the cholera toxin binding subunit, its normal translocation through KBOLA. And then when the CAV1 protein was eliminated, this click endosomal cavity and formation and movement of toxin like the CTXB or the virus SV40 was discovered. So the caviosome plays a role with, with early to mid to late endosomal maturation. And you can get complete recycling of the caviolar complex back to the plasma membrane. And yet you can degrade whatever the cargo was that was brought in via the endocytic caveolar carrier. That's what this is basically telling you. So cavioli-related diseases, which include things like lipodystrophy, which we've talked about, and pulmonary arterial hypertension, are caused by mutations in CAV1. Indeed, skeletal muscle disorders and cardiomyopathies are linked to mutations in CAV3. You see, so these proteins play very significant roles in pathophysiology of disease. Now, when CAVINs were discovered, it became clear that there were other disease associations with this KVOLA proteins. Remember, cavin's different than caveolin, right? So cavin 1 is also linked to lipodystrophy, muscular dystrophy, and cardiomyopathy, as is cavin 4 now linked specifically to multiple types of cardiac disease, including hypertrophy. So that means that cavins and caveolins play a role in pathophysiology. In fact, 
they've been studied in various tumorigenic events, and both cavus and caveolins are linked directly to cancer. In fact, early studies showed a loss of caveolae in tumor cells and an inhibition of tumor growth when CAV1 expression was increased. Beyond that, cabins are generally linked to tumor suppression as well, with cabin 3 expression lost in breast and lung tumors, and expressions of cabin 1 and 2 reduced in breast cancer. So when cabins 1, 2, or 3 are expressed at high levels, you get a decrease in breast and lung tumor growth. Now, having said all of that, caveolin 1 has a tumor-promoting role in some other cancers, including prostate cancer. In that case, the only linkage with CAV1 to progression of prostate cancer is when CAV1 is overexpressed, but cabin 1 is not expressed. Obviously, that means caveoli are no longer being made right? because you need to keep both of those proteins. So when you get that, which is an imbalance of the CAV1 to cabin 1, you get a poor prognosis in prostate cancer patients. This is actually used as biomarker. Now, in mouse models, the expression of cabin 1 in the prostate cancer cell indeed has been shown to dampen the tumorigenic properties of CAV1. And so, overall, let me say this. The dialectical event ontology of KVLA-associated disease is florid, and there's no absolute relational, quantitative, qualitative, or modal conformity. This is why it's important to look at the details. I always say you have to look at the details, right? To know whether or not you can describe a specific association here, in this case, with KVLA or with the proteins involved in KVLA production, and then all of their bulk transport and movement, interactions in synapses, interactions with cell-cell contact, adhesion, or indeed with uh, tumorogenesis or immunodeficiencies or autoimmune diseases. So we just covered that all in the last 10 minutes. That, that's why I'm saying that there is no absolute telos there. Oh, if you have high K cave one, you're always going to be anti-pathophysiological. Uh, Not the case. Uh, if you're going to have uh, alterations in the ratio of cab one to cabin one, you're always going to get a positive effect on prostate cancer. That's not always the case either. Okay. So even something very specific. So this is why you need to read the details. This is why you need to read the research literature. And you have to be able to put it together, organize it in your mind, and then formulate new hypotheses. And the hypotheses will then be closer to the mark, right? The deductions will be closer to the mark to generate what? To generate ideas about experiments 
and then they carry out those experiments and then get new results that get you further down the road to understanding the complexity of nature. That's why I do this in authentic biochemistry. And that's why I go into the detail because I go into the detail because I'm a biochemist and I want to know the detail so that I don't generalize about any given pathobiochemical phenomenon or normal biochemical phenomenon without a clear understanding of all the caveats. And there are always caveats, always. That's why you need to take on this dialectical event ontology. Because that's when you're going to realize, again, I'll repeat, there's no absolute relational, quantitative, qualitative, or modal conformity when you talk about KVLA-associated disease. So I'm going to stop there. I think we did a good job um, making them, making our mark on the, the true optics of pathophysiological interactions. And this is only discussing one phenomenon, right? The production of KVOLI in certain membranes with all the different lipid moieties we talked about and protein moieties we talked about. Okay. So this again is the 27th of July, years 2022. This is lecture 2022 in membrane biochemistry from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. And your host, of course, as always, is Dr. Dan Guerra. And I will close by saying, bye for now.